Hey, podcast listener. If this is your first time here, welcome to the Eat Half Walkable Podcast, coming to you from the Ascend Endurance Coaching Studios here in beautiful, snowy Stratford, New Hampshire, US of A. I'm your host, Chris Dunn. If you've listened to the show before, well, welcome back. So this show chronicles my four decades in endurance sports as a coach, race director, and athlete, told through the stories of the important, influential, and interesting people I've met along the way. While I catch up with friends, colleagues, rivals, clients, and the occasional family member, it's my hope you'll learn a little something about health, fitness, and the secrets to living well along the way. Tyler Lupian and Jenny Villeneuve are my guests this week. This duo was recently part of a three-person team that successfully got one ultra-distance runner, Tyler, to the finish line of his first 100-mile foot race. Having a team on site to support a runner during this type of challenge isn't required. Plenty go it alone. Ever the stoic, initially, Tyler had planned to go it solo. While some may say it's a luxury to have a crew, others would argue it's part of a great plan. And while no 100-mile finish is ever guaranteed, having a capable and responsive crew can sometimes make the difference between a buckle and a DNF. Such was the case for Tyler and his crew. This is their Hitchcock Experience 100-mile story. Tyler and Jenny, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be here. Thanks. Um, you know, it's said that uh, it's said that teamwork makes the dream work. Uh, and that statement is it, it, that's obviously true in, in traditional team sports, but it's also true for sports that aren't typically thought of as uh, uh, as um, as as team sports, like individual sports such as running and, and more specifically you know, ultra running. You know, recently, uh, you two exemplified that common expression of teamwork makes the dream work. Tyler, you as the ultra distance athlete and Jenny, you as his crew. And this aspect of teamwork is is really novel is really novel in sport, and I'm I'm eager to dive into it um, with both of you from from each of your unique perspectives, from the perspective of the athlete and and the perspective of the crew. But let's let's do this first for the listener who isn't familiar with you. Uh, why don't you both introduce yourselves? You know who uh, who you are, where you're from, what you do professionally outside of uh, ultra distance racing and ultra distance crewing. Um, Jenny, what, why don't you start? Sure. Um, so yeah, uh, I live in Maine, mid coast Maine. Um, I am an attorney by profession. Um, I'm a transactional attorney. So, um, I guess I classify myself as like a problem solver and a, um, collaborator and a meter of people's needs, um, kind of on a daily basis for work. Um, I got um, kind of been on the like fringes of um, ultra sport for a while. Um, I'm not really an you know ultra endurance athlete myself in any uh, way, shape, or form. Um, but I seem to find myself in the midst of a lot of them for some reason, <laughs> um, and uh, it probably started in college um 
I did a bunch of like just outdoor stuff. I went to UNH, so um, which I think Chris, are you in New Hampshire? Is yeah, that go, right? yeah, and I'm I'm a UNH alum too. Go Cats! Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I found myself uh, really enjoying the whites. Um, hung out with a bunch of outdoor ed majors, so I was rock climbing and backpacking, and um, kind of. But, you know, was never really an athlete before that, but found myself really enjoying that space. And then, um, yeah, and then ran my way through law school as a matter of sanity, um, not really as a matter of being competitive, but to just burn off stress. Um, and then somehow, uh, I think being, I don't know, maybe being crossed over with a lot of people that push themselves in a lot of different, maybe professionally or academically, um, kind of runs you into people that also push themselves uh, other ways too. So um, yeah, between friends and my husband and his friends, uh, I just kind of find myself in the space. So um, kind of lent myself naturally to wanting to help people out as they go. So I'm kind of new to crewing. I've, I've done a few um, things here and there. Um, I don't know, you probably know the... Um, I guess the first, I kind of did Den Mother. I called myself on a, the, a Scutney, was it a Scutney, the Ragnar, that re, Ragnar relay, um, like six years ago. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, um, and then did uh, some backyard stuff for another friend of mine um, who's pretty active in that. And, and this is it. And then the Hitchcock. So, so, um, so. Backyard ultra. That's, that's one of those like Bubba's backyard ultras, the last man or last person last standing, standing races. That's right. Yep. Um, thank you for that introduction. Tyler, what, mm -hmm. what about you? Introduce yourself to the listener. Yes. Hello. Um, I'm Tyler Lupian. Um, from born and red Walboro, Maine. <clears throat> um, Sort of my athletic background is, oh, I'm a farmer. That's what my tax return says. Um, <laughs> I own and operate a garden center with my brother. And so um, I, too, am a problem solver. Like, I'm basically in retail plants. You know, if people are looking for annuals and perennials and trees and shrubs. And then they, they come to our garden center and, and buy what they need. <clears throat> um we have a super hyper seasonal business. We're open for retail mid-April to 1st of October, which that also does um, kind of dictate where and when I choose my, my races and outdoor activities. So um, I was kind of a runner, always ran around the neighborhood, uh, ran cross country and track in high school. I did not go to UNH, um, <laughs> but uh, I ran uh, cross country at a small division three school, uh, Worcester Polytech and Worcester Mass. And then um, sort of found my way back to Maine to the family business. <clears throat> Tyler, I, <laughs> I know you're really busy in the summertime and, and your business probably doesn't need any additional advertising, but do you want, <laughs> do you want to put a plug in for the name of your business? Oh, sure. Yeah, it's um, Moose Crossing Garden Center right on Route 1 in Waldeboro. Very good. 
Um, and uh, we're going to start. We're going to start to talk about um, the the experience that you and, and Jenny and your crew uh, had here just recently. Um, but but to help sort of contextualize that a little bit more, Tyler, can you uh, can you tell the, the the listener how old are you? I'm 47 years old. 47 years old. Um, and um, have you um, have you been running? Uh, uh, how long have you have you been have you been running? Pretty pretty much all my life. Um, after the after sort of the college years, I was a mediocre marathoner with a goal to qualify for Boston, which I did in the early 2000s. And um, somewhere along there, well, not somewhere. Uh, when I had kids, I, I sort of slowed down on, on the whole running thing for a little bit. And then I gradually started picking back up on road races and 5Ks. And then I did a little thing called the snowshoe race. I just I had no clue what that was about. And I went and joined it. And that's sort of where I got kind of hooked into the trail running community and the uh, um, trail monster running folks uh, based out of Bradbury that that um, that where I found my tribe, so to speak. Yeah, we're going to talk about them uh, in a little bit more, too, because um, it's really uh, through them and, and through trail snowshoe racing that uh, you and I uh, came to know each other. But we'll we'll get to that in just a moment. So, Tyler, on the on the morning of Sunday, December 12th, uh, on a chilly, windblown Loez in Honey Creek, Iowa, 27 hours and 18 minutes after you started, you crossed the finish line of the Hitchcock Experience 100-mile foot race. It was your first 100-miler. Uh, um, Tyler, wh what did that moment feel like? It felt damn good. <laughs> Um, you know, it's, um, I had actually registered for the race a year ago. Um, and that was, I guess, um, I don't know if you say this in the intro, but Chris, you're my coach. Um, but there was, we, there was a time where we had a little hiatus and I decided I was going to try to train for it on my own. And guess what? I wasn't very successful. So it's definitely something I had been thinking about for a couple of years. I had run the 50 at the same location. Um, in 2019. So I kind of knew what I was getting into terrain wise. Um, but it, it felt amazing. Um, it, it was hard and my body was gave everything it had out on the course more or less. I, I was feeling pretty rough, but, um, but it was a great accomplishment and, and it's probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, Jenny, similar question for you. Um, you know, you, 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 you were you in it for those twenty-seven hours and eighteen minutes as well, um, uh, serving as uh, uh, as Tyler's base camp crew and den mother, and I mean all all all, all the other titles that you want to you want to give yourself. Jenny, Jenny, seeing Tyler finish, what what did that moment feel like to you? Yeah, it was, um, it was pretty exhilarating and, um, relieving, I guess. Um, like, yeah, yeah. Seeing him walk up. It's if you've 
if you, and I'm sure you guys will get into talking about the course, but there's this, it ends in this shoot, which is this really steep um, incline up to the finish. Um, and yeah, seeing him walk up that, I was like, yeah, wow, <laughs> we did it. And, uh, and there he is. And we're going to, it's going to happen. I think uh, you kind of, mm, I don't want to say like, you don't want to jinx yourself, you know, but definitely right up until the end, I kind of suspended any um, thoughts about finishing um, because I kind of wanted to stay where we were um, and keep an eye on everything. But then I think it was like, oh, wow, now I can really just let go of that. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a good point. I mean, I think, I think at one point as part of our back and forth communication, you know, we, we both agreed that, um, um, that no hundred mile finish is ever guaranteed. I mean, it, it's also never easy. Yeah but it's also never guaranteed. So all along the line uh, or, or, or all along the way, you know, you were keeping me, you were keeping me updated. And um, uh, while you were, you know, while you, you know, each time you had a chance to see him and, and help, you know, help him problem solve and, and work through some of the challenges that he was dealing with. Um, and some of the challenges became quite significant <laughs> as the race progressed. Um, yeah. But, but, you as as the race sort of progressed um what i heard from you was you you know the, the further along he got the more confident that you were getting that he was going to actually finish this but you were also very cautious not to get you know too far ahead of your skis right because they're right <laughs> because again no 100 mile finish is ever guaranteed i mean to your point um th there probably was at least some doubt or reservation or hesitation to sort of completely embrace Tyler's finish until you actually saw him running up that final finish shoot. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I hate to draw back to like my work life too much. Um, but, uh, you know, until you get that wet ink on the paper, like I can't tell you the number of settlements that have fallen apart or like whatever, you know, so we kind of, you know, I'm very much a never count your chickens till they're hatched person. Um, and I think we've all seen, you know, if you follow any um, endurance sport athletes, you know, you see those painful moments where people get, yard, you know, 100 yard, yards from the finish line and they just can't even, they can't, you know. And um, and so you always, there's always a little bit of that that you're like, <clears throat> okay, I just need to, you know, be in this until it's really done. No, I, yeah. I, I think that's a, I think that's a really, that's a, it's a great lesson actually. Not that I didn't have faith. I definitely, like mm. you said, I got more confident as we went on certain problems that you think could creep up, kind of melt into the background. You're like, okay, I think we're over that hurdle. Like that's probably not going to happen now. X, Y, Z. Yeah. So. Um, well, let's, um, but for the listener, let's, let's, let's help the listener, um, sort of, uh, reset and, and, uh, and, and orient to, uh, how, uh, how we all know each other. Let's, let, let's start with this. Um, how do you two know each other? Do you want me to go Tyler? Sure. <laughs> I'll take my, my, my view on that is, um, I think actually Carrie, uh, Carrie's Tyler's wife, um, Carrie and I were talking about that. I think we, uh, our kids go to school together, um, have been in school together since they were pretty little. Uh, and I think one day Carrie was going for a run out of the school parking lot and I hollered at her. So 
was like, you go girl, you know? And, uh, and she was like, Oh, who is that lady? So anyway, we met that way. We met through the kids basically, I think, and, and hooked onto each other from there. And then just started hanging out and we live in a small community. We have a lot of overlapping friend groups and whatnot. So I'm that, sure we cross paths. Yeah. Is that, uh, is that how you see it, Tyler? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, my oldest and their youngest, um, were in the same class. And so they, they became friends and then enemies and now, you know, friends again, that type of thing that happens with girls in you know, five, six, seventh, eighth grade. And, um, yep. we have, we've had a couple of cool vacations together. That is um, true. To, to the point where like by the time we got done with this experience we had spent almost a month together like the last month and uh, <laughs> we didn't have any Fine. real big disagreements so yeah no just just no. a chill family and um and uh john jenny's husband who um was my was my pacer for um some of the last laps um just always up for an adventure like we've done about a bunch of mountain biking and hiking and just different stuff and always just like a positive um let's let's do it sort of attitude so yeah so fun times so, yeah so safe to say that that um um that that you all have a, a have a relationship uh with each other and, and have a certain comfort level um so jenny you and i actually met the day before tyler's race uh tyler <laughs> Tyler shared um, uh, my uh, phone number uh, with you and uh, must have said something to the effect of, you know, if, if there's anything you need uh, or, you know, please make sure to reach out and keep coach uh, uh, in the know. Uh, so you you sent me a text message the day before the race and int introduced yourself. Um, and I was I was very appreciative of that. It, you know, it's. <clears throat> It's rare uh, for uh, for uh, uh, an endurance coach to have the opportunity to sort of follow along intimately uh, in a in an athlete's uh, race experience. Almost always, um, I am uh, you know at home and feverishly refreshing uh, training peaks to see when the data is uploaded, so that I can you know see how the individual did. Um, so it was really, really nice to um, to have uh, to have that connection to Tyler, Jenny, through through you, and uh, you did a, a remarkable job keeping me uh, up to date with what was with what was going on. Um, and I, I actually had the opportunity, which was it, it was very welcome, um, had the opportunity to kind of participate a little bit too to ha to help problem solve. And we'll 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 talk about that uh, a little bit in, in just a moment. So. Um, that's rare. I was super appreciative of that. I always tell my, my athletes who have crews to please, please share my contact information with them because I, if there's anything I can do to help on race day. I certainly want, certainly want to be, provide that. So, uh, so, so, so that's how, that's how you and I know each other, Jenny. And then, and then Tyler, you and I have, oh, geez, we've, we've known each other, I guess, for at least a decade or so I was, I mean, I was trying to think back. 2013. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad your memory of these things is, is better than, than mine. Um, 2013. So, so thank you. Yes. So, uh, it'll be a decade then next year. I knew it was about a decade and I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna venture a guess that, 
Uh, we came to know each other uh, through trail monster running, either a snowshoe race or a trail race uh, hosted by, uh, by your, your team and club. Um, but he, do you, do you have more? I mean, obviously you have more details than I do because you actually remembered that you actually remember the year. What, well, what, what, what do you know about that? Tw- 2013 was a year I, uh, I found this snowshoe race on the internet and I showed up after having fairly good 5k training, you know, I was, I don't know, running 17, 17 minute 5k. And, uh, so the first, so trail monster running, used to back in the days when we had snow would put on a series of three uh, snowshoe races that built up. Um, they have names for them, but I always forget them. There's a, there's a three mile, like a four or five mile and then a six mile. And so I showed up to the three mile one, the very first one. And I had a heck of a race because basically it's like a sprint on, on packed snow. So we met at the second race. And so that was my second snowshoe race ever. And uh, that's where I got my butt handed to me, literally. <clears throat> but wisely, uh, like three miles into the race, there was someone who was stand, who was right behind me, just tracking me, tracking me, tracking me, tracking me. And then at some point, I, I died and I pulled over, and it was this guy in this acidotic jersey, Chris. <laughs> and then he was like, "Oh, nice pull," and then he just <laughs> left me in the dust. So I was, I was like, I was getting my education in snowshoe racing because by that time I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't pull, I couldn't push for that hard for four or five miles. And it was just crap luck that I got to that first one. And afterwards you were very kind. So that, that's how we met. Um, <laughs> thank you for, thank you for uh, revitalizing my memory of that. Uh, of that first time that, that, that we met. So we weren't, we, we, we met before we were formally introduced, I guess is maybe a fair way, is a fair way to say that. And then subsequently um, uh, we, we, we had the opportunity to race against each other uh, on both snow and trails. And uh, I, I know I came up yeah. and did a handful of the, of the trail races um, that uh, the trail monsters put on as well. So um and then uh, four years later, um, you hired me as your coach, 2017, uh, when we first started working together. Um, why hire a coach? Well, I think, um, you know, I'm sure everyone has a different take take on this, but, but for me, with with running and the way the way I approach it is I tend to be a little bit um, obsessive and like really interested in more and more and more and more and numbers, 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 numbers. And that's that's bad for a middle aged, you know, mid packer. Um, so a, a, one of the big reasons why a coach was good for me is because it it helped me figure out that every day shouldn't be a hard day and that and that you need to slowly build up to your goal and also the the strength training aspect was really missing um in in you know the global training philosophy that that i had or i mean it just wasn't something that i i participated in and uh and so that's that's a big big chunk of why I've had 
I think, decent races since I've been working with the coach. Um, well, that's, yeah, that's, um, that's great to hear. Uh, again, I, we're, we'll, we'll pick up a little bit more on, on the, um, the, the role and importance of strength training, um, just in general, but specifically with the Hitchcock experience here, uh, in just a moment. Um, all right, let's, let's, let's proceed then to, um, to talking about the Hitchcock experience, the hundred mile foot race, um, in, uh, in Iowa, um, in, in terms of the preparation, uh, Tyler, that, that training camp was 16 weeks in length. Um, generally, how did you think the preparation went? How, how did you think the overall, how did you think the training camp went? I think it, I think it was probably the best, the best build I've ever had, um, and I think that's fortunate because it was also, you know, the longest race I've ever had and the, you know, the, the most effort. But um, I think the, the consistency that I had and like running, running a marathon in Camden Hills, which is where I did most of my long runs with, you know, substantial rocky climbs and, and vertical um, and downhills um, made me feel like I could I could pretty much do anything. But getting getting to that point, you know, it was a, it was a nice slow build. But but once I was there, I felt I felt like I could I could tackle pretty near anything. Um, you know, no no training camp isn't without its trials and tribulations. Uh, I mean, truth is our training camps are 16 weeks long. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that can go sideways uh, during a four month buildup uh, to an event. Um, did, did you have any, did you have any, any setbacks or significant challenges um, during that, that 16 week um, uh, buildup to the event? Yes. Yep. I ran, um, I raced stone cat uh, 50k I forget the date, Chris. Uh, was it early November? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was just before your apex cycle. Yeah, so, yeah, so four, you know, four or five weeks, I think. Before, five weeks out. Yeah, five weeks. And, before um, <clears throat> it was a beautiful day, and um, that's a what is that? A three a three lapper, a little ten ten mile three three lapper, fifty um, k, and. Uh, I didn't feel it during the race, but at some point I must have turned my ankle. And so um, I had a lot of stiffness and soreness in that. And that I was really nervous and afraid a few days out after that because I, I felt it all the way up the right side of my ankle. And I think it, it stopped me from doing my long run uh, a week out after that. Um, and then... Um, I think I was, I was KT taping and it was feeling better. And eventually I got on the other side of it, but that was so close to my apex race. That was, uh, that was pretty nerve wracking. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's a, that's a really good example of, um, of the benefit of working with a professional endurance coach, right? Because he, you know, you got, you got, you got two heads to put together to work through a challenge rather than, 
you know, you yourself feverishly, you know, searching the internet for what do I do about a, you know, about a tweaked ankle four weeks out from my hundred miler. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that ended up being a collaboration, uh, between the two of us. Yeah. Uh, and we, uh, we worked through that, that challenge, um, mostly just by, you know, you mentioned KT tape as sort of, a uh, a way to, to mitigate the discomfort, but we also backed off a little bit uh, on yeah. your running volume. Um, that's not always easy though, for an ultra runner mm-hmm. to do that close to their, you know, to their, their a event to start to back off on running. But I, I feel like it's the, the most important thing um, uh, to have done, you know, in that, that moment. Um, Jenny, at, at what point did, did Tyler approach you and say, uh, Hey, I'm doing this hundred mile race in Honey Creek, Iowa, and I'd 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 love for you and 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 John to uh, to come and 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 help. How did how did that all come about? Yeah, it's funny. Um, so, um, I mean, you've been working with Tyler and known Tyler for a while, uh, and you probably know he's not necessarily the best, like most New Englanders farmers best at asking for help. Um, so <laughs> I think, I mean, I knew, I definitely knew that, you know, cause when John and Carrie and I hang out, we often talk about, oh, what, you know, what do you got going on? What's on your training? You know, what's on your schedule? What's in your plans? Um, so we kind of knew that he had this on the horizon as a goal. Um, and you know, that it was brewing for a while. Um, and so it would come up every once in a while in conversation. Um, and I think it, I'm sure it was Carrie that said to me one day when we were hanging out, not with Tyler, <laughs> she was mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, Tyler's not really <laughs> thinking about having crew for this. And I was like, what, <laughs> what is going on? Um, and she, she said, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. He's, he's thinking he's going to do it on his own and just, and I was like, do people, I don't, so this race isn't familiar to me at all. I was like, do people do that for this race? Like, that seems pretty bold, but okay. Um, and, uh, and Carrie's like, yeah, what do you think? Like, would you, and so she, she kind of tossed out, you know, what would you consider, would you consider doing that? I was like a hundred percent. I would consider, I would love to do that. But I also know it's funny, Tyler and I are kind of, Carrie and John are super similar, super extroverted. And like, they're the ones that are like, you know, always game and chat and stuff or whatever. Tyler and I are also, we're like the reserved introvert kind of internal thinker people. So um, I was like, gosh, how am I going to approach Tyler about this? Because I don't want him to, you know, if he doesn't want it, I don't want to like, you know, propose something that just is going to feel bad, you know, or feel like wrong to him or, you know, be totally, you know, not something that was in his thought process. Um, So I don't know whether Carrie broached it or I broached it, but at some point we were hanging out and it came up and I think it was a lot of Tyler's, like there was some resistance. And I think a lot of it was like, Oh God, I wouldn't want to possibly burden anybody like that. Like I'm just, that's ridiculous. Like I've got it. Like I'm not going to drag someone into my like crazy bullshit that I do and like make them go and on this suffer fest with me. Like I'm just going to do it by myself. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm like a weirdo and I, 
love going out and suffering with them. <laughs> I mean, I don't think, you know, from, and it seems ridiculous because from a crew perspective, like, yeah, it's a little bit uncomfortable maybe to be up for what, I mean, we did that in college though, right? You stay up like doing all, pulling out nighter and I don't have to run. So, you know, <laughs> like it seems like I have zero things to complain about. So um, it doesn't bother me at all. Um, so I, I think it's awesome. I think it's super fun and interesting and I'm can super nerd out on things, which is like right in my, you know, wheelhouse. Um, but I think, so anyway, it was, it was not, I don't believe it was Tyler that brought it up, but eventually he kind of like came around to it and we had to have like a few small conversations about it gingerly before we really got into the idea that it was going to happen. So Tyler, help me, <laughs> help me to understand it from your point of view. Um, <laughs> when, when did Carrie come to you and say, Hey, look, you, you really should have, you really could use some help here. Or is that not how she, how did she, how did she get you from a, I don't think I really need a crew to, you know what? Okay. Maybe that's a decent idea. <laughs> well, so the part of the whole like sto stoic uh, aesthetic appeals to me, right? Like I, I would love to think that I could go to this race and self crew and not pay and not have a pacer and, you know, sort of harden up and, and, and do it myself. But in retrospect, that would have been a very bad idea. I mean, I did it for the 50 and it was tough, but, but a hundred is, is that much more. Um, I just like like Jenny said, I, I I thought that them being my crew would be a wonderful idea from the get go. But you're talking about two airplane tickets, three hotel nights. Uh, you know, uh, at, at the time, at the at the at the outset, the camper van wasn't really a an option. And thank goodness that that sort of idea generated itself, and and the the setup was perfect for it, just just because of the way the races run. But uh, I, I mean, I didn't want anyone to have to commit that amount of time and dollars and effort um, on just me running a race. It's kind of like an ego trip, really. You know what I mean? But they were crazy enough to be into it. So, um, I mean, once I realized that that they were they were into it and, and willing to sacrifice, then I mean, how could I how could I say no? Mm. And um, when, roughly when when was this? Was this um, earlier this summer? Was it was it you know closer to race time? When 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 it, when, when, when were you able to sort of come I to some say, understanding and planning that you were going to have some support? It it might have almost been six months ago that we initially through the through the things because I remember sending emailing them a stupid spreadsheet with my. <laughs> with with times on it but really at that point i was like well where where are we gonna where are we gonna do this because i'm sure we'll talk about the race in a bit but the start finish area it's a 12 and a half mile loop the start finish area is a small it's a bird sanctuary and like a like a small meeting area where crew can access their runner and because of the regulations the park has, you can only go inside when your runner's there. So it's not convenient at all to to crew someone at that. And I want to say maybe the room's 20 by 20. 
Um, you have to keep your drop bag outside. It's freezing cold, so you're dealing with cold, cold bottles. And, and um, so <clears throat> had we not sort of come around on the idea of the camper van, it, it would have been mightily uncomfortable to be a crew member. Got so once we once we said okay, so there's a spot on on the race course that happens to be a campsite. It's open. Their water's off, but the power's on. Then we kind of hit the ground running. Got it. Um, so um, just to tie a bow on the on the preparation, and then let's let's move on to to the planning from both of your perspectives. Um, you, you know, Tyler preparation for these things is typically thought of in, in regards to sport specific physical training, right? In other words, you, you run to prepare for an ultra endurance running race. Um, but, but how important for you were things like strength training and soft tissue work, uh, and mental training sort of, you know, in, in upon reflection in the grand scheme of things, um, you, you clearly did, you know, you, you did your share of running, but how important for you, you know, as a as a fifty something year old ultra distance athlete, how important for you were those other things? Forty seven. <laughs> I don't know why I just accelerated. Just <laughs> it's it's <laughs> the gray in my beard. We, we just got in the we just got in the time machine and yeah, and fast forwarded three years from now as a forty something year old uh, ultra distance athlete. How important are those other things for you? Well, I suppose I do round up to 50, right? Uh, cru <laughs> crucial, crucial. I mean, pretty much every, pretty much every time I have neglected those parts of my fitness, you know, some, some kind of niggle or, you know, injury has raised its, raised its head. Um, and um, I, I really feel like a lot of the, the climbing and very, very steep uh, ups and downs, short ups and downs on this race. And part of the, part of the um, strength I had in the climbing and descending, I think was, was done due to a lot of the strength work that, that I did. Yeah. And, and it's just like, sometimes it can be, I do most of all my workouts early in the morning. And, and getting up and doing the soft tissue mobilization, um, which is essentially a yoga routine, right? And uh, and some and some of the mobility stuff, it, it's hard to get motivated to do that. Where for me, get you know, going out the door and running early in the morning is easy. But those things are just as important, you know, and they're they're a, a critical aspect to the overall fitness picture that I brought into Iowa. So you, I mean, you, as an endurance athlete for, you know, you've been an endurance athlete for, for quite a long time, the, you know, the, the, the concept of the importance of strength work and soft tissue work is, I mean, this is not something new for you. You've, you've known this for, for a long time, but, but by your own admission, um, you haven't always been the best at doing the little things outside mm -hmm. of, you know, the, the primary activity. Do you feel like, do you feel like in this in that particular instance, in terms of your consistency with those complementary uh, modalities like strength work and soft tissue work, do you think that's another 
sort of potential benefit of having a coach to keep you accountable to doing the little things that you know you need to do, but are always the the, the first things to easily let slide? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because if I was left to my own devices, I would probably drop those and just run because it, it feels better and it's, it probably scratches some sort of interior mental itch better. You know what I mean? Um, But also I have an extremely physical job, you know, um, uh, I'm on my feet, I'm moving around. I, I got a million steps in the month of May, just walking around, you know, it's flat. There's no Hills, um, on, on our business, but, uh, so, um, core strength, back strength, um, just overall fitness helps me in my day to day work. And, uh, and I've had plenty of back problems. Um, I've basically been in this game now for 30 years plants and, you know, you're always probably lifting more than you should and improper and bending in all sorts of different ways. And, and it's just complementary to, to the type of stuff I do day to day. Yeah. it's a good point too, right? Because, um, if, if you can avoid, if you can maintain health through the course of your, you know, everyday physical responsibilities, um, <clears throat> then you can remain more consistent with your sports specific training. And the more consistent you are with your sports specific training over time, the more your fitness develops. Um, let's, let's move on to the, the, the planning. Um, uh, Jenny, so Jenny, let's, let's talk a little bit about, a little bit about the, uh, the planning that, that you did leading up to the race. We'll, we'll, Tyler and I will talk about his specific planning. Um, but, uh, what, what types of planning did you need to do? What types of things did you need to pull together, uh, to crew an athlete, uh, you know, uh, halfway across the United States for a hundred mile, hundred mile uh, foot race. Right. Um, well, I mean, I think that I kind of went, I went into what I knew, um, already, which like I said, I'm not, it's not like I'm, you know, a really seasoned crew member for professional athletes or something like that. Like I'm just an average person. So, um, but I dug into what I knew and I figured that the best place to start was to kind of first ask, get uh, familiar with like what Tyler was doing for his training, make sure I really understood what he was, what he was doing, understood he was doing it with you. Um, and that, um, so I knew what his plan was a little bit. And I think that I'm, my feeling is that a lot of, uh, obviously a lot of it, as you pointed out, is, is the physical build piece, but there's so much underneath with the mental preparation and um, just kind of like keeping tabs. I don't know if Tyler knew I was doing that, but just like, in, you know, intermittently keeping tabs on how he was doing or checking in or asking, you know, where he was at or how he was feeling about his preparation, I figured would let me know when we got there, what kind of, I'd know ahead of time, maybe what kind of state he was going to be in. Um, I also didn't really, hadn't like, you know, we're good friends, but I didn't know how he prepared himself as far as like how detailed is he is he a kind of guy that just likes gonna fly in and wing it or um it turns out it's entirely the opposite you know tyler and i are like i said kind of wired the same so um he came in to this um with like you know 
like almost like spreadsheet level, you know, kits and preparation and counts and gels and everything was measured out and pre-planned. And he had a lot of ideas about um, how things would go. So I just asked him a lot of questions. We had a couple like light meetings, I think on like, you know, what are your preferences and what do you find annoying? And, you know, how do you, um, how do you want me to be present for you? I guess is, um, that kind of thing. So that was like the one-on-one kind of prep that we did. Um, as far as the logistics go, that was pretty easy. Um, you know, plane tickets. Um, like I said, we kind of all put our heads together and figured out the whole camping piece. Um, that was pretty cool. Uh, and, um, my husband travels a lot for work. So we kind of went out and had some, you know, free air miles and that made like Tyler's, a. Uh, he runs a business, so he's like a dollars and cents guys, you know, like he said, he's like, oh, it's a lot of money to fly. But it turned out we had some tickets and we had some hotel points and that piece all worked out smoothly. And we uh, collaborated on planning, making sure we were at the same places at the same time. And um, yeah, so, I mean, that stuff is easy and, and fun for me and logistics wise. I think that's what we did to prep. I don't know. Does that answer your question? I don't yeah, sure. kind of. Uh, yeah, well, no, okay. it, 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 it definitely does. Um, I mean, obviously, Tyler, Tyler was going to have uh, the most significant needs uh, for that 27 hour period of time. Um, <laughs> but you also kind of had to do your own planning in terms of you were going yeah. to be, you know, you were going to be traveling and you were going to yeah. be spending, you were yeah. going to be spending, you know, a, a day plus uh, outdoors, you know, outdoors in, in December yeah. in Iowa. And, and, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I had, you know, like you would plan for any of your own like outdoors trips. I planned, you know, layers, a bag of like various clothes that would be suitable for me to be. So I wouldn't be uncomfortable. I mean, I think the biggest thing, thinking about being a crew person is, you know, not being a liability yourself. Um, so you basically need to make sure that your needs are fully met on like very simply so that when you're focusing on someone else, you aren't coming unwound underneath. Um, and I think the little bit of crewing that I've done really, I learned some lessons early about um, making sure that, you know, I'm, so when we were grocery shopping, you know, before the race, I was like, okay, this is, I kind of had a meal plan for myself. This is what I'm going to be eating. This is when I'm going to eat. Um, you know, this is when I'm going to try to get some rest. Um, and this is how I'm going to stay warm. I mean, like basic needs stuff. Um, this is how I'm going to, you know, get to the bathroom. <laughs> like, cause you, you do, um, and again, like making parallels, it's a lot, there's pieces of it where it's like taking care of a baby. <laughs> like if you've had like an infant, you know, it's just like constant because you're taking care of kind of a lot of levels of their, of, of someone's needs. Um, it's kind of just constantly demanding. So you just have to be really efficient with your own needs so that they kind of fall in the background and are kind of seamless, I guess. Yeah. And I, I think a really good point about as a crew person, not being a liability, right? I mean, the last yeah. thing that the athlete needs to do or wants to do is be concerned that his crew is somehow com coming apart at the seams or his crew leader needs something is cold or hungry or tired or, or, yeah. or sick or injured or so. Yeah. Uh, a few times, you know, really Tyler asked like, how are you guys doing? Okay. Are you guys getting rest? That was very nice of him. But like, you know, the last, and very in his nature. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. We're, 
we're doing great. But um, yeah, you don't want to, even if you're not, you'd say that, but <laughs> like, um, you don't want to be in a bad situation. And I think, like, I think I remember once when I was doing the, um, the backyard for um, my friend, Jason, I remember him coming in and that's where you have like, you have like minutes to turn someone around at the crew station. And I couldn't get, I was super tired. We were like, you know, over 20 hours probably into it. And I couldn't get the, like a head, I couldn't mentally figure out how to open the back of the headlamp to switch the batteries. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, and I, you know, and Jason took it out of my hands and he was doing it. And I was like, what the heck just happened? <laughs> you know, so you like, uh, you know, something like that happens and you learn from it. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess that that's, that's where, that's where the benefit of having an experienced crew comes in, even, you know, even, even if by the crew's own admission, they are not maybe the most experienced, at least they have some experience. Right. Um, Tyler, for, for you and I, um, you know, building a multi-point race plan uh, is essential um, uh, for for us. Um, and it, you know, just in in general, it's it's always important to you know to to plan. But it but but that planning becomes um, e even more uh, critical the longer the event, right? So you were asked to build a fifteen-point race plan. Uh, covering nearly all the important elements of ultra distance racing, you know, from the pre-race meal to your, your gear list, your within race nutrition, race tactics, pacing, skin integrity, muscle cramps, sour stomach, which we'll talk about, uh, and your re recovery protocol to, to name a few. Um, Tyler, as, as you think back on the, the, the race planning, um, do you feel like that was a, that, that, that generally that's an important exercise to do. And specifically for this race, do you feel like, you know, actually working through that multi-point race plan was helpful? Oh, absolutely. Yep. And that's something that I shared with, with John and Jenny as well, because I think that gave good insight early on. Um, the, the nice thing about having a bullet point, list to go through is that it makes you think about every aspect of the race that you might not otherwise you know i've i've uh, had you know trained with nutrition and i trained with the nutrition that thought i thought was going to take me all the way through the race but i probably wouldn't have considered what to do if the net nutrition went sideways you know or if if things weren't you know weren't going according to plan and that that sort of um, thorough checklist makes you evaluate some of those possibilities that you might not otherwise. And, and honestly, just it, it, at the start of it, it helped me figure out, well, what day am I flying into Iowa and what day am I, which hotel am I staying at this night? And when are we picking up the rental car? And, you know, when you're thousands of miles away from home, you, you have to plan where your next meal is coming from, particularly if it's the night before a hundred mile race, you know, you want to make sure you don't eat total garbage. Although we went, we went to a steakhouse. It was good. Um, but you know, you, you just have to make sure you have all those things in line because it, it's critical to how the race comes out. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very much a, a proponent that there is no detail that's too small, even for of, of that length and maybe especially for an event of that length um you made a good point uh tyler that 
once you had your race point, uh, your race plan done, um, you know, you sent it to me for my review. I sent it back with some with some commentary. At that point, you shared it with your crew. I think that's in a that's a really important uh, aspect and element of this. You know, this really this theme of communication, I, be, I think, is beginning to emerge a little oh, yeah. bit. And I talked about earlier about Jenny communicating with me. You and Jenny and John and, and Carrie were all communicating with each other. Tyler, when you had your race plan built, you shared it with with Jenny so that she and John understood what your plan was. Um, Jenny, was that uh, was that helpful when you when you got uh, Tyler's race plan to see it laid out that way, the things that he had sort of been thinking about and working through? Yeah, I mean, it's it was super helpful. It kind of um, let me know again, like I said, like where where he was, where I was meeting him. Um, as far as like what his comp, what kind of thought processes he was using to make his plan, like how detailed was he going to get, and where were his points where he was either uncertain or feeling nervous? You could t- you can tell you know by how much detail sometimes someone puts in. You're like, okay, here's the part where we really need like these things are important. Um, but even having that, um, it's funny. Even like traveling in because you have so many pieces going through your head to stay on top of. It was nice. We'd be like, we picked up the rental car and I was like, re- referred to the list. And I said, look, we're on track. We had, have two hours until our next meal. <laughs> like, you know, we were able to just kind of take that degree of comfort and be like, okay, we're on track for the day before the day, you know, the day before the day before, like we're that many days out we're doing all the things that we're supposed to be doing and i could kind of let tyler know okay you're on track check that box you've made you know you're making all the right moves still your prep is going well i feel like the crew job all starts way back before if if it doesn't start way back there before i don't feel like you've built like a foundation for anything really you know you have to have kind of that that feeling that trust that that person's knows what your plan is and they've got your back like from the start. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I also think too, that a big part of the race planning is to help to alleviate some of the anxiety associated with fearing that you're going to forget something important. Totally. <laughs> yeah. No one wants to forget their passport. <laughs> I mean, I mean and, and it's one thing if you're, it's one thing if you're doing a race in the next town over and you're sleeping in your bed the night before, you know, heaven forbid you get to the venue and you realize you left your shoes at home. You can, you know, you can call home and have somebody bring them or you can go back and get them. But, you know, when you're traveling halfway across the country, you don't want to get that far and realize, Oh snap, I didn't pack a headlamp. You know I mean? Just something simple like that. So, um, cause there is, I, I, there always was for me, uh, some level of anxiety just around I'm, what am I forgetting? Right. It, what, you know, and, and, uh, I think, I think writing things down and going through that, that process helps to alleviate that. And I think uh, having the conversations too, like even, you know, the night before we made a point, like I went down to Tyler's room and like went, we went through all his bags, we went through all his things. He showed them to me, like, you know, so I feel like I, my effort there was really just like to make sure he knew that I saw them. I get it. I know where everything is. So he can just forget about it and be like, she's got it. Like, she's not going to be hunting for things. I don't have to show her where things are anymore. You know, that part's over. I think that's also, that's also an excellent point too. And Um, I would also say, um, 
sorry to interrupt Chris, but yeah, yeah. The, the plan that we, that I normally fill out, that we fill out together for a race also includes what my goals for the race are. Thank you. So, you know what I mean? I, I you know, th they realized that it wasn't like trying to set a world record or go under 24 hours or win. You know, my goal was to finish. And then I had a, you know, an ancillary goal of, um, I think it was sub 28 or sub 30, but, but at least they knew from the get go that what, what my target was and, and how we could best work to reach it. It's also a really good point, Tyler. So, um, to that point, I asked you to, I asked you to set a, a safe goal, a target goal and a lofty goal. And, uh, in fact, I can pull those up right now um, just to drive home that point. <clears throat> so in your in your pre-race planning, you set the following three goals. Your safe goal was to have fun, enjoy the journey, learn as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Safe goals are always the goal that like you could roll out of bed tomorrow and accomplish, right? So those are, you know, lead pipe lock. Your target goal, target target goals are are, are goals that um, are set uh, to be aligned with your level of preparation. So your target goal was to finish the 100-mile race within the allotted cutoff time of 34 hours. Your lofty goals, so lofty goals um, uh, should always be just slightly out of reach. But if the stars align, then lofty goals um, uh, are occasionally attainable. Your lofty goal was, um, um, well, you said that you, you thought the first two goals, your safe goal and your target goal covered it, but, but that a lofty goal would be to, uh, to finish in under 30 hours. Um, so, you know, the, the, the point about um, making sure that your crew understood what your goals were, I think is also really, really important, right? Because when, when push comes to shove, you know, Jenny and John needed to know that, um, you know, at some point it's about getting him to the finish, right? It's not, it, you know, his, his target goal is not some, you know, some time specific goal in which we really got to, we, we got to encourage him to move a little bit faster. Um, at some point it was about, you know, we need to have him moderate the pace a little bit because if he is going to achieve his target goal, which is to finish, then maybe he needs to slow down a little bit. So, so it, it's a, it's a really, really good point uh, there, Tyler, about, um, as part of the race planning, making sure that the crew understands what the, uh, what your, uh, goals are as the athlete. Well, let, let's, let's talk about how the race went from both of your perspectives. Um, Tyler, set this up for us. Um, can you describe the course and the, the terrain as, as best you can? What, 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 uh, what were you tackling? So I'm here to testify that there are hills in Iowa. Okay. So um, a lot of people think Iowa, they think cornfields and flat. And it, it is a lot of flat cornfields. Um, but the, the western edge of Iowa along the Missouri River has, has this geological formation. It's basically like rolling hills. And, um, or steep hills, I should say. So not rolling. Yeah, they're, they're steep. <laughs> And so this uh, Hitchcock Nature Center is located on, on this ridge um, 
on the border of Iowa and Nebraska. And it's funny, like back east, if we had something that steep, then we would have a switchback trail going up it. They have a lot of just like go straight up this hill and then go down the other side type of thing. So it's a it's a 12 and a half mile loop course. And the start and finish is um, is at the bird sanctuary that I mentioned earlier. And then there are two formal aid stations, one at like three and a half miles and one at six and a half miles. And um, our, our RV was at the three and a half mile aid station. And um, that's the one other place you can access your crew or pick up a pacer other than the start finish. So other than that, you're kind of out there on your own. And turns out there was only like about 30 people in the hundred race. So it starts at 5 a.m concurrent with a half marathon trail half marathon and then at 9 p.m there's a 50 mile race and the 50 mile is raced through the night um, um so um double track single track uh rocks roots so it's um it's mostly double track there is some single track it's all packed dirt this is a, a wind driven phenomenon called the Lus or Los, I don't know how you pronounce it. So there wasn't a natural rock to be had. So um, some roots, but not many. It was um, it was pretty much packed dirt. And I have to say the conditions were fantastic. When I was there in 2019, it was packed snow. And, and if it rained, it would have been a nightmare because of all the steeps. It would have been like you'd been sliding on your butt. Um, so no traction necessary, no, no gators really even necessary. It's just this fine packed, uh, wind driven sand or silt, I guess. Um, but it just doesn't, it doesn't stop going up and down. It's up and down and up and down. There's probably a section between the second aid station. So I'm thinking six and a half miles to eight miles where you're down along the bottom of the gully creek or whatever um that's pretty flat but other than that you're always moving up and down up and down up and down so jenny how did the uh how did the aid stations work so you um uh you, you guys described that or tyler described that you you couldn't set up your uh your substantial crew accessed aid station there at the start finish area because the area was so small and they were restricting um the your access to it outside of the time that your runner was there um so you and john had the camper van set up at the three and a half mile aid station is that correct jenny yeah that's right um yeah uh, yeah. so yeah, so Tyler would come out of what we call the start finish, which is the, the bird sanctuary where there was the restricted crew access, um, and, uh, run a segment. And then he would be basically at, yeah, at that aid station. Um, there is a, uh, event run aid, aid there, um, that was great. They had a fire going, um, 10 and like the usual snacks and whatnot, um, and someone counting runners in and out um, as they went by. Um, and then we were that camp, that area had a bunch of campsites in it. And that when we were looking at it, you know, we were like, hey, <laughs> seems like there's an opportunity here um, to be a little bit more comfortable than we would be. I think there were plenty of, I don't know, I kind of talked to a limited number of crew, but it seemed like there were some that were just kind of living in their cars, you know. 
Um, so able to access at those two, you could either drive over to the bird sanctuary area or come to the campground. And it, unfortunately, those two spots are really close together. So if you wanted to, it wasn't the kind of race where you would as a crew, like hit your rudder, like, you know, at the beginning and somewhere in the middle, that wasn't possible. It was just that beginning section of the loop. So what we did was we kind of started counting loops right from the campground. So, um, so we would start, um, you know, thinking of Tyler's lap as going from the campground around. And then the next time he came to the campground, um, that just let him kind of focus on us as being the primary goal to get to for each lap. Um, and yeah, and gave us, um, space to kind of spread out more. I mean, I, I was really grateful to, um, and the way that the camper was able to set up, we were really close to the aid tent. So it was basically no different than if I had laid everything out on like a blanket, you know, like you might do if you were at, if you didn't have a camper. So I just put it, we put a table outside the camper. Um, it didn't really seem like a good idea. Like Tyler didn't really want to go like in the camper necessarily. Um, it's just better to stay outside and kind of stay tempered, I think. So we had a table outside the camper and I would just, um, you know, re rotate his, um, setup as soon as he left every time and have it, um, you know, wash, you know, refill bottles and reset everything, uh, and kind of plan for what might not come next, uh, the next lap, um, right there. And so when he came off the, course he could just go right there um i would meet him up at the at the uh spot where you come off the course and just kind of walk with him back and um start the process during that so um each lap or when 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 tyler would reach you um you were collecting uh, data uh you were collecting um uh, both objective data um uh, how much did you eat? How much did you drink? Uh, but you're also collecting subjective data as well. Are you feeling you were you were documenting these things um, uh, extemporaneously um, in um, in notes um, that you shared with me um, along the way? Um, can you talk a little bit, Jenny, about the types of things, types of information you were collecting, uh, and why? Uh, why it was why it was important or, or why it was helpful uh, to you as a crew member to collect that information. Sure. Yeah. So I just kind of went um, intuitively looking off of what Tyler was indicating that he was wanting to do for each you know stop. He pretty much set out a good plan by working with you um, to know. Okay, I'm you know my intention is this amount of calories um, per lap. My intention is, you know, this amount of carbs per lap, you know, this is when I'd like to start caffeine. This is when, you know, he had kind of, um, you know, an idea there. So within that, I figured the best way for me to address that was, you know, you know was to track all of those things. So I was tracking um, his carbs, um, electrolytes, protein, um, all of the water, you know, with along with the ounces of fluids that he was taking in in conjunction with all of those, because those were all liquid uh, based um, powders. So we could kind of like keep track of the amount of fluid he was putting in um, and keeping track of uh, number ones and number twos. Um, so fluid out. Um, 
which is just kind of, you know, I don't, a hundred, like not always a thing. And again, I'm not an expert in this area, but if someone, you know, starts getting super puffy or weird things start happening, it's kind of good for someone that has more information to be like, this is how many ounces of fluid we've taken in in the past, you know, four hours. Um, so just keeping track of all that stuff. And then we kept track of all, when he'd come back, I'd just unload his vest and be like, okay, we, he ate definitely four gels. There's, you know, a Stroop waffle wrapper in here. There's a gu- like a gummies wrapper in here. Um, so I would just write down all those things. And then as he was kind of, we were doing the other things he needed, like changing his clothes. Um, I would try to ask, like, he would try to, you know, inform me, this is what I ate at all the aid stations. So I was just trying to like keep a bunch of information about, so we could get a general picture of calories and is he eating? Is he drinking his water? You know, check the water bladder, like how much is going out of it? Um, So um, yeah, that kind of thing. And then basics, like as he's approaching the aid station, like how's his gait? Like, am I noticing, like, is he seem pretty even? Like, and then checking in, like, do you have any hot spots? How's the chafing going? Like, what's your mood like? Like just chatting to see, you know, where is your head at? Um, and Tyler is really forthcoming with information. We kind of had planned that ahead of time. Like he's like, you might have to like ask me and pull information out of me as things go on, which is expected and, you know, was the case. But he was generally pretty like um, remarkably um lucid, I guess, or like, you know, um, able to kind of self-report like what was going on. He didn't ever get really to a point where I was like, whoa, like we're really checked out mentally at this point or we're get, you know, I, I was never concerned. So, um, yeah, really fortunate that way. But, um, yeah, those were the kind of things I was tracking, I guess. I don't know if I missed anything, but, um, and, and I guess to your point, you know, one of the things that was super awesome was, as much as I know about Tyler uh, personally, like I'm not his coach and I'm not, I not professionally do what you do, Chris, um, in any way, shape or form. So it was super helpful. I just thought I, I didn't know what you expected. So I was like, Hey, do you mind if I send you these data points, like on a lap by lap basis? And I just shoot you, you know, take a, take a picture, text you a picture and you'd be like, yep, you know, here's some feedback. And um, if I had any questions, it was really comforting, I think, for me to know I had an extra, um, like, set of really knowledgeable and someone that not wasn't just knowledgeable, but someone that knew Tyler and had worked with him um, and watched his training progression, like, to be like, yeah, that's normal, or this is what I would expect, or this isn't good. Like, I knew I was going to get that support. Yeah, I mean, as I, as I said, as I said at the outset, um, it was, it was an extraordinary opportunity for me um, uh, to, to participate within an event. I mean, it's, 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 it's very rare that that gets a chance that, 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 that there's ever a chance that that happens. Um, Tyler, your focus uh, during the event was, um, was to stay present and just in the lap that you were racing, right? So an eight lap race, the challenge for you mentally, one of the challenges for you mentally was to stay within the, within the lap that you were racing and have all of your focus and attention on just that lap. Tyler, take me through your thought process as you were, um, as you would sort of come through the start finish area, knowing you had another three and a half miles or so to get to your, your aid station really where, where you, 
let me ask you this. How were you counting laps? Were, were you counting laps based on when you got to the start finish or were you counting laps in terms of what, when you got back to your aid station, where was your focus, the, the start finish, or was it, was it your aid station where your crew was? A hundred percent. It was, uh, it was, uh, where my crew was, you know what I mean? That the, it's kind of funny almost because I think I was the only runner who was really getting, getting crewed at, the three and a half mile aid station. So I would come up to the start finish and everyone would be, you know, let me fill your bottles or what can I get you to eat? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm still going. I I'd spent basically no time there. Um, and I would say one thing about those folks, they really wanted to throw away my wrappers. They really wanted <laughs> to clean my pockets. And, and I was, I would tell them, no, I'm just trying to keep track of this. And they're like, okay, cool. I didn't, I mean, I had a couple of pieces of food there, but I knew that, I knew that I I was pretty close to where I counted my lap, which was at John and Jenny's. The strange thing about that, or the tough thing about that, is that three and a half miles, I think, were one of the roughest parts of the race. Because you come off of the bird sanctuary and you go like straight down, straight up, then straight down again, then straight up. You kind of run by the campground, but you're still you still have two miles to go. And then you go out into this cow field. So the race is essentially um, is in in the nature preserve, except there's like a mile, maybe two miles, mile and a half um, on a neighboring cow farmer's pasture, which he only lets them access the race like the day before and the day after. And then he shuts it down. But while you're out there, you're in a cow path, which is like maybe 18 inches wide. And it's beat down in the ground and it's got hoof prints on it. So like after all those, you know, after the start finish, I go through all those up downs and then go out through the cow field. But by the time I got to the back end of that, I knew I was going to be at the end of my loop. So those three and a half miles were like sometimes a little mentally tough. And I had a little speaker that I listened to music a couple of times. And once like John was, was pacing me, he didn't pace that three and a half miles just to save his legs a little bit. So I listened to music just to know that like, okay, now, now I'm, I'm, I'm headed back to where I need to go. As you, um, as you would approach the aid station in which you, you, you were going to have access to your crew, <clears throat> Tyler, what, what were some of the things that were going through your head as you were, uh, as you were approaching the aid station? What was your, what was your thought process like as you were, as you were nearing your crew? What were you, what, what, what were you thinking? Well, it did evolve a little bit um, as the race went on. Like at first couple of laps, I was I was probably running a little too fast, and I knew that it's just like I couldn't I couldn't slow I couldn't contain myself, so to speak. It wasn't it wasn't crazy, but it was certainly fast, um, which I think probably is the case for a lot of people who run a hundred for the first time. But once I got up near up near the aid station, I would start thinking about what I definitely needed for the next, for the next lap. Um, and, and Jenny's being modest. She basically did everything for me, um, in terms of asking me the right questions and getting me ready to go back out on the loop. Like I recall, like one, I was approaching, um, trying to remember that. Yeah, I was approaching like, uh, the the campground i mean yeah the campground when i knew that the next lap was going to have some darkness in it potentially or i might be back around right at sunset and i was thinking man i gotta tell them i need a headlamp and they were already on it they they said you know you gotta make sure you take a headlamp um 
but I was pretty much like trying to make an assessment physically. Did I have a hot spot? Did I need to change? You know, was it worth it to change my socks? Um, what I what might taste good to me in the moment, um, and also don't sit down. You know what I mean? I, I did sit sit down a couple of times, but I really you know, that camper was so nice and warm and inviting. And it was cold enough the whole race that if I stopped for any period of time with the amount of sweating I was doing, I got chilled. So I wasn't necessarily trying to get to the, through the aid station to like make my time quicker, but just so I didn't cool down because it was chilly out there on the ridges. Yeah, there was, there was a, there was a, a point. Um, what was it maybe after, after lap two that um, I think it was after lap two, Jenny, you'll correct me if I'm wrong. And Jenny, um, had made the comment to me, you know, sort of, sort of got me up to, up to speed with, uh, with, with how you presented, um, after that second lap and, uh, shared the data said that you, um, you were starting to brew a hot spot, but that you were really eager to get out of the aid station that it almost, in other words, Jenny was, it's for Jenny it was almost like she wanted to address the hot spot, but you were, you wanted a hot foot it unintended you wanted to hot foot it back out of the aid station and then jenny and i we sort of had a just a quick back and forth about um you know perhaps at this point forward um that jenny was going to need to um take command of your of your medical needs <laughs> maybe a, a little bit more forcefully um you know it's uh, jenny talk about that you know that that balance between um, you know, needing to and wanting to provide everything that your runner needs, um, but also at some point sort of uh, taking stewardship uh, of their of their decision making. Um, what what were some of the challenges uh, ab about that for you, Jenny? Yeah, um, I think it's kind of, you know, in the beginning, I think because Tyler is so well um, and super well trained. So like, it looked to me like he was going out at this, like it was a 50. So I was like a little bit, you know, I think Tyler knew that. It's <laughs> like, I was a little like, uh. um, and so in that, cause he was so trained, you know, so he was so comfortable with those first couple laps um, that when he would come in, he was like, you know, moving and jazzed and, you know, a little bit hard to kind of like, oh, you know, okay, I see you're, you're in here, like, okay, slow down, like, you need to get some that your things changed and your food in. And, and he's like, you know, freaking around, freaking around with his vest and like shoving stuff in his pockets. And I was like, whoa, okay. And, you know, part of that, it's interesting, because looking back, John very um, graciously was doing like these Instagram live videos. And when I watched them, I'm like, oh man, that's so awkward. Like I could see myself wanting to get in there and like help. But at the same time, I like wanted him to have some autonomy too, because he was doing fine. I didn't want to be like, here, like, let me, you know, get all up in your space and take over when you don't feel like you need that yet. Um, so I think there was like, for me, there was a, like a line I was trying not to cross, but then, um, and I didn't want to be, and like I said, like maybe a piece of it too is um, my own level of experience. And like, you know, I was like, okay, well, if he's good, like, I don't want to be hopping all in and, and making things worse. But it was pretty clear after, like, as we were getting into the third lap, 
that I was like, and Carrie was, you know, I, I was reaching out to Carrie too. Cause I was like, Hey, like Tyler's real hot to trot here. Like what's going on? <laughs> like he's not. And she's like, you need to be really firm. Cause he's not going to list. Like he's going to, you know, he's got his brain in some other category here that you, and I was like, okay. So we made Tyler, we made this plan behind your back for me to be, <laughs> um, but yeah. It, and it felt fine after that. I kind of knew he would just start to, and he did, he planed right into like a good pace after that. And then it felt like, okay, now some of the logistics seem a little bit easier to manage. I can be like, listen, you really need to sit down and Theragun that because it's going to serve you better in the long run. You need to slow down. Like I would say like one more minute at the aid state here is not going to impact your, you know, it's going to do more good than harm. And he pretty quickly kind of fell into that mindset I think there was just a little bit at the beginning, which seems normal. I mean, if there's a little bit at the beginning where he's just like, I, I'm ready. I'm, I've been wanting to run this for like months. Like, let's go, you know? And yeah. uh, so Tyler, it's hard do you, to Yeah, Tyler, do you, do, you, um, do, do you remember a point maybe in the race, Tyler, where you just sort of handed it over in terms of, um, you know, letting, letting Jenny do her thing and, and, mm -hmm. um, or, or what was it not was it not so was it not so obvious for you no it, you had let go it was pretty it was pretty obvious I, I remember the hot spot thing because uh, uh, there was a person that I wanted to run like uh, one thing I will say like backing up is uh it was lonely out there uh, there were so few runners that I ran uh, the first 50 miles basically by myself. Like once the half marathon was over, I never saw another runner until I got my pacer. And that was a new, a new, I mean, of course I did all my training runs alone, but like you never expect in a race to basically be alone pretty much, you know, four hours at a chunk. Um, and so I think part of the excitement when I got into the aid station was like, yeah, all, all the people that were, you know, manning the aid station knew my name. And then by that time, people at the start finish knew my, so like I was hearing my name, be, you know, I was being cheered and coming in, but that specific point, I like, there was a runner who I kind of wanted to run with who had done the race before. And I think I was in a rush to, to get to her, but it didn't, you know, like that was, I think second, third lap. And then eventually I knew that I wasn't as good at making decisions and like putting the bottles in my vest. I mean, what I should have done right first lap is just given my vest to Jenny, let her put it on. Cause it's so much easier to put the bottles in when, when, and that's what she ultimately decided was right anyway. But yeah, I think relinquishing that control early on was tough, but then it was certainly easy later because uh, my, my, the ability for me to focus on, things was was less and less there was only so many things i could focus on and, and at that point it was like well i gotta just focus on keeping one foot in front of the other and let my crew do what you know what what we've talked about agreed upon and and let them take care of me and you know i i'm the type of person like i don't want to gross someone out with my gross toe or you know or you know i'll you know deal with that hot spot later Jenny, Jenny was willing to get in there and do whatever it took. And, and, you know, eventually I just, you know, accepted that that was better for me and better for me in the long run to finish the race. Well, Jenny, Jenny had mentioned that um, 
that you look so good and we're, and we're doing so well in the first couple of laps. Um, but at, at some point, uh, Tyler, your stomach got a little bit sloshy. I think maybe it was, uh, on or around lap three. Um, and, um, you know, interestingly enough, I think as, as part of your race plan, when, you know, when I asked you about, um, in race nutrition, you had, you had said something about, um, how comfortable you've had been or how comfortable you were and confident you were in your within race nutrition, because you had been, you had been working on it. You had been practicing it. You had been using, um, the, the foodstuffs, um, in training that you were going to be racing with. Um, but at some point again, uh, lap three ish or so your stomach begins to get a little sloshy. And I think you said something to the effect that you lost your sweet tooth, um, (laughs) for an ultra distance runner, um, GI problems, you know, don't necessarily always lead to a DNF, but they can certainly make your, your experience miserable and they can, they can make it exponentially more difficult to remain positive. And, and we've talked about before that, you know, the effort follows attitude. And when you begin to take on a negative mindset, everything becomes exponentially more difficult. That little punchy climb next thing you know, it feels like Mount Everest, right? And it, and, and, and in, in large part, it has to do with, uh, with your attitude. It's, it's certainly can become a challenge to stay positive when your stomach, uh, begins to go sideways on you. Um, Tyler, what, what was that experience like? Um, and how did you work through, uh, that, uh, that adversity? Yeah. So yeah, that was, I mean, every, every event like this has, has some kind of low point. And then I think that that I fortunately was my only real low point kind of early in the race pre 50 miles, but somewhere if I had to guess 30 miles, yeah, my stomach started sloshing pretty good. And I think maybe it was basically most of the calories I had taken in were liquid, which is how I train, but maybe, not for this duration or those amounts and i didn't have a cramp i just like there was some places in the bottom of my stomach that felt kind of like um to the point where i basically stopped taking any calories in except what i had in my in my liquid calories um yeah and then sweet stuff didn't really appeal to me and unfortunately it was so early in the race that you know, usually these aid stations, they start putting lunch out at lunch and dinner out at dinner and they have, you know, uh, quesadillas, grilled cheeses, you know, I'm, I'm, I could eat those all day and night, but none of the aid stations had them. And there's only three aid stations and they're pretty close together. So if you miss the grilled cheese once, then four hours later, you can get one, but there's nothing in between. And so I was, I was kind of hoping for some of those earlier and, and that's certainly, you know, one of my lessons from this is that um, if you looked at, at what, what we had for food um, that my crew was going to give me, it was mostly sweet because that's all I had really kind of trained with and thought about except for what I could get at aid stations. But if you can't get it at an aid station, you darn well better have it on you, you know, or, or, or be ready. So all we really needed was, 
you know, some bread and, and some sliced cheese or whatever. And we kind of could have been, could have been ahead of that, but it's just nothing I had anticipated. Um, but that feeling was only with me for, I want to say a couple of laps and, um, you know, I had some, uh, bathroom issues, um, that probably moved the problem along and then, um, you know, so things started tracking a little bit better. Did but you, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you, I mean, did you ever think when you were having these GI issues and bowel issues that that was going to be the end of uh, end of your race? I never got quite to that point. Um, I, I was, I, I was maybe a little nervous at points, but it never, it never really got bad enough that I had to stop and it didn't really even slow me down. It just changed the fueling strategy that I had in the moment because I was still running. I was still, and I don't think my pace even dropped off really all that much, but I was, um, you know, power hiking the ups and downs and running wherever there was, where it wasn't steep and still getting through that. It just didn't feel as comfortable. So Jenny, Tyler describes the, the, the GI issues uh, and the bowel issues as probably his, his, one of his greatest adversities that he had to overcome within the race. And, and uh, he, you know, he said it really well that, that these events are, they aren't without some adversity that you have to overcome. Um, Jenny, what, what, what was your mindset uh, when, when Tyler first reported to you that his stomach was, was sloshy? Um, did you potentially see that as a, as an issue that was maybe only going to get worse and make things that much more difficult for Tyler? Um, uh, and, and if, if so, how did, how, what was your reaction? How did you, how did you react to that? What, what, what was going through your mind when, uh, when, when Tyler reported that as a, as an issue? Yeah. I, I mean, I think the first thing to note is that when Tyler, he was really upfront about reporting it, which was great. And then we were, I think he was calm about it. I was calm about it. We were like, okay, here's a fact, like we're sloshy. What do we know about that? And, um, you know, let's unpack it a little bit. And we just quickly, like, we just tried to like peacefully and calmly problem solve it. Okay. Let's look at what we've been doing. And I'm like, you are, I said to him, I said, you have a way, probably way more fluid on board than you need for what, for the temp it's cold out, you know, we can cut back there and we can cut back on the gels. I think the gels are probably not doing you, you know, any favors right now a little bit. And as long as you I said, how do you, you know, I said, how do you feel about eating some solids, like something that would be a little binding, like this banana or, you know, brat diet, like level stuff, some white bread, some cheese, something that's going to tie stuff up. That's like also soothing. Um, and he was like, yep, I can do that. And he sat in front of me and he ate a banana. And I was like, okay, like we're not yakking the banana up. He wasn't even like burping or anything, you know, like it wasn't like, vomit level like really high acid stuff going on it seemed more like just too much liquid i was like it's just too much liquid <laughs> so and so i think we kind of salt we kind of hacked through it and again maybe keeping all that information you could kind of i felt less nervous that like the only thing i was thinking is like okay now we're really gonna have to think about easily accessible energy because if we can't 
put those liquids down that like, you know, that are your body can really grab right onto and the gels, then it's going to be a little bit of a different game getting through to the end. And we kind of saw that manifest a little bit um, because it, it's hard to like, how many quesadillas can you eat? And how soon is that glycogen going to, you know, how, how soon is that all going to be accessible? So um, he did pretty well for a while. And um, I think really all the way through until lap seven, we just tried to like get really ginger with, with it. And um, I felt, I didn't ever feel like, I think if he had started vomiting and stuff, I would have gotten a little bit like, oh boy, now we're in it. Like we're down a road. And that's really demoralizing too. Um, I think whatever, Tyler's good at pooping in the woods. So I wasn't, (laughs) I wasn't too worried about that situation. Um, So I was like, yeah, we can, we can, he can manage that. And his, his attitude about it was pretty chill. So that gave me some confidence too. I guess. Yeah. I mean, you actually, you actually mentioned that, uh, in your notes, uh, that he was, uh, that he was chill about it. Um, Tyler, you, you described the, um, the, the nature of the, the race and the course as being, as being lonely. And, uh, I suspect that, uh, as the race wore on, particularly as night fell, probably began to feel even lonelier. When did you pick up a pacer? And, uh, uh, and how important was that, uh, was that for you? Uh, did you get a mental lift or boost from picking up your pacer? hundred percent. Yeah. You, you can't pick up a pacer in this race until 50 miles. <clears throat> and so, um, we had come into this race, um, thinking that John was probably going to do the last 75 with, uh, excuse me, the last 25 with me from 75 on. Um, cause it kind of did the math, right. So, um, and his fitness was such that that was probably what he could handle. Um, but we worked out something a little bit different where, because we were at that three and a half mile mark that I would pick up John at 53 and a half. And then he would basically run nine miles instead of 12 and a half. And then Jenny would come grab him and give him like an hour break while I was doing that three and a half section that really sucked. (laughs) Uh, So um, having him come on at that point was, was amazing. Um, It's also where I picked up poles, which I think was the right time really um, for them. Could have used them earlier, but I didn't, I'd never carried them for so long that I think that, I think that was a good happy medium. And uh, John, John's obviously not here on the podcast, but he's just like, he's a chatty Kathy. He's super positive, um, uh, very inquisitive. So he'll be asking questions about geology or uh, astronomy. And, you know, before you know it, you've, you've done a lap. Um, and so it was, it was really nice to have, to have someone out there just to keep the pace, but also just psychologically to not, not be out there slogging away on your own. So how many, how many uh, partial laps then were you paced for um, laps six, seven, and eight or five, six, seven, and eight? Um, it was five, six, seven, five, six, seven. That's, that's right. Right. Jenny. Yeah. Yeah. Five, six, so, seven with John and then Matt for eight. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So that, that's a good point, right? Because, um, at least in the beginning part, the plan was that you were going to do the final lap on your own. It, correct. 
initially that's right. that was the plan, yep. right? Um, uh, but that's not how <laughs> it's actually not how it <laughs> turned out, right? Uh, after all, so so John paced you for laps uh, five, six, and seven. Yep. Um, and those laps were they were mostly unremarkable. Fair to say. Correct. Yep. I mean, I was getting slower and the quads were getting more tired, um, particularly the quads from, I think, just breaking on the downhills. But um, it was just, yeah, just moving along. Yeah. But no, no significant adversity you were you, you needed to overcome during that during that period of time. Correct. Um, so so how did it go from you? you know, initially planning to run the last lap on your own to actually having some company on the last lap. How did that materialize? Well, the whole, the whole plan that, that we put together was for John to run like the last 25 initially. But then once we figured out that he could run three laps instead of two by kind of truncating the, the distance, um, sort of in race, we made the decision together to, to bump him up earlier because, I, I think I needed him more early just as a, as a psychological boost, especially in the dead of night. And that last lap that I was going to be on, the sun was going to be rising. In fact, it rose like maybe halfway, three quarters through the lap. So the sun was coming out. I was going to get close to the finish. I could, you know, smell the barn, so to speak. So that last lap was going to be on my own because it probably was the one where I least likely needed him in the back 50. Um, but as, as you know, luck and chance had it and collided, um, as I came up the chute on my seventh lap and said goodbye to John, it was a little bit, you know, tearful, gave him a hug. I was like, oh man, this is going to really stink. There's an aid station there manned by, um, a crew from South Dakota. So this race draws from sort of like the Midwest, um, Nebraska, Iowa, Minnesota, a lot of Minnesota, South Dakota folks. And there's a, a crew there that was manning the aid station at that point in time. And there was a, a young runner there. His name was Matt. I'm guessing he was in his 20s. Um, who was there to get the ultra experience. He was pretty new to trail and ultras and he wanted to see the whole course. And he was going to pace one of his other sort of group mates. And for whatever reason that fell through, he was wearing all of his runner clothes and he said, I'll pace you. And he put on a headlamp and went right beside me. So I tried to talk him out of it because, you know, I'm going like, I don't know, 15, 16, 20 minute miles. Um, in fact, at one point I, I thought it was running, I was running to my, to my mind and I turned around and look and he was just striding along, keeping time with me by walking. <laughs> but he, like, I, I, and I gave him outs, you know, okay, we're going to be at this aid station here. You can leave. We're going to, you know, we're going to, we're close to the start finish. You can leave here. And he, he was a trooper. He stuck with me all the way through, which is, I don't know, somewhere around four hours for that loop to, to happen. And he, he asked the right, you know, he asked me if he kept me drinking. He asked me if I was, you know, if I, if I was eating and, uh, he, he said, you go at your pace. He stood like three feet behind me and, and, um, just, 
did the whole thing, which was pretty amazing to me that someone would do that to a complete stranger. Well, I, I'm, a, I am of the opinion that, uh, there, that there are no coincidences like that. Matt was, Matt was, was put there at that place in that time to, to just to keep you company for that final lap of your first 100 mile race. I don't, I don't think it was a coincidence. I, I think it was, I think it was meant to be. Um, do you remember anything about the conversation or, or did you not have a, was it, was it mostly, was it mostly quiet and solemn uh, during that four hour period of time? Or do you remember anything about that? Yeah, no, I, it was a little bit like a first date. So where are you from? And, you know, um, I, yeah, he's a financial analyst for the state of uh, South Dakota. He has a Labradoodle and wife and we started learning all that. And then gradually, like my throat was hurting a little bit, I think from some of the yelling and I don't know, maybe a funny way I was breathing. And I, and I just had to say like, I, Matt, I'm sorry, but I just got to turn my voice off for a minute. And we, you know, we went in silence and for a while. And then as the sun came up, we started talking again and I would tell him things about the course because by that time, you know, every little tiny hillock and every, uh, everything was mapped totally in my brain. I mean, I could, I could walk you through that course right now, step by step, but because it was his first time, I'd be like, okay, we're going to loop around and come back here. And, Oh, wait till you see this hill. This is the worst hill in the whole course, which there are two of those that, that I love to, to show John, John got a kick out of that. Um, but no, it, it went, it went by really quickly and he, you know, just this super polite Midwest, um, guy and yeah i'm i'm very fortunate that that he was there um ready to go pretty pretty cool for for all that to to come together um uh you know to kind of for him to sort of be a part small part uh, yeah in in the overall experience well let's let's finish with this let's let's finish with some uh some reflections um from both of you about the experience jenny i, I want to start with you um <clears throat> How would you describe the experience overall? That's a big question. Um, yeah, it was, uh, well, I guess I felt super honored to be a part of it. Um, it um, kind of, like Tyler says, like running, like, you know, it scratches some sort of itch or whatever. Um, but being in that role is definitely um, something that I super, uh, feel super attached to and um, enjoy. And so selfishly, you know, in some sort of way, maybe because it oddly, because people are like, oh, it's such a selfless thing. But I think there's some weird piece of it where I'm like, no, this is, you know, there's some sort of selfish beast <laughs> where I'm like really enjoying um, uh, figuring things out and kind of being a nerd and um, learning and listening and um, being there for somebody. So um yeah, so that, uh, yeah, I was really grateful that, you know, Tyler would consider even um, letting me be there. And, you know, in that space, it's very vulnerable. It's um, a big goal. You don't want to screw it up for the person. You know, it's like it's been training for it for like a year, you know, <laughs> and it feels very important. Um, so, I guess I would sum it up as I was honored 
I was a little, little nervous, um, but mostly just really got into it and enjoyed it while it was happening and just kind of like went along for the ride. Um, and it was, it was, a uh, yeah, it was great. It was um, a lot of ups and not that many downs. And I was super impressed with, with um, how well prepared Tyler was to make it, you know, to make it happen. I think that went along a long way. Um, and yeah, I think my reflections are, are mostly positive around that. Yeah. Um, it's not likely that, that that was your last uh, experience um, running a crew for an ultra racer. Jenny, what, what will you carry forward with you in terms of, in terms of lessons learned or takeaways from mm -hmm. the experience you had with Tyler that, uh, that perhaps you'll apply the next time you're in a situation of crewing uh, an, an ultra distance athlete? Mm -hmm. um, I think, yeah, I think big lessons we learned were like that things were really helpful or really early communication early and often. Um, I think if there are other, co you know, it's to extent someone's coached by someone else to the extent they're receptive, like you are about, you know, being part of that, you know, race day experience. That's something that I would totally dive into again um, and make sure I had that feedback. Um, and um I think uh, being a little bit, you know, I think I could be critical about like being a little fumbly in the beginning and like maybe things could have been better and smoother. I could have done a better job, but I think also being a little forgiving that like it's a long haul and like everything is not going to go perfectly and it's okay. And it's more about just kind of making sure that you don't, you know, you keep moving just like the runner, like you keep moving forward, right? Like forward movement. And um, yeah, yeah, I will share. There's like one, you know, Tyler is like, oh, that last lap, it was like, it was like, not, you know, like, oh, I was just on my way home. And I went out with Matt and it was like, totally fine. Um, when he, that we, he came through that aid that last time and it was only like nine miles left so i was like okay this is happening like your bag is packed we've packed that finish line bag the beer is in it we're going to the finish line i will see you there um and so as he came in like we had this routine he'd like strip his vest off and i'd put it on so i could like redo his stuff with some you know leverage um and i his vest weighed it was soaked it was freezing cold it, I was peeling ice off the front of it. Like, I don't even know if he knew there was ice dripping down from his bottles. It was completely frozen on the front. And I, I was tired, you know, I was admittedly tired by that point, but I almost started to look like I almost started. It was like that maternal, like I wanted to cry a little bit because I realized I had to put this back on him. And I was like breaking the ice off of it and like, <laughs> and I was like, Okay, here you, here you go. Put the put the vest back on, Tyler. We're going again. <laughs> um, so I think the other thing I learned is like it's valuable to be able to keep a really good poker face if they if if, if nothing's really going wrong, but it's a little bit gritty. Like you just kind of like pretend like it's all good. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> And they're none the wiser. You're like, no, you're fine. Here, have this frozen vest. I can't wait to see you in a few minutes. Bye. I think, yeah, yeah I, I think, I think every ultra distance 
uh, crew has had that experience um, and and use that philosophy. Uh, Tyler, same question to you. Uh, how, how would you describe the experience overall? Yeah, I mean, it was it was uh, amazing and and uh, like kind of a, a little cathartic, you know. Like um, <clears throat> it's it's kind of weird. You you have an idea of what something will be. Um, you know, I've never run more than fifty miles, so I had an idea of what the hundred would be. And it, it was hard. It was really hard. But um, but the fact that, you know, I had this goal and I worked towards it and um, and I was able to experience it with, you know, with my friends. And also, I will say that John was doing the Instagram stories um, and they're still on Tin Top. I was uh, Tin Top Cider Company. I, I was watching some of them earlier. <clears throat> it it made it so like literally my daughter was watching me run a hundred and you know people from all over the country that that i know or john and jenny know were wishing us well you know in some ways i was afraid i would let them down if i you know if i failed but um but it was just it was just an amazing experience to have that sort of um in race uh communication including you know talking with my coach, which I've never, you know, never done that before or through Jenny anyway. Um, so it, it was just, it was really cool. And it also, but it also like, it makes you realize like you can't do it alone. You need your people. And, and, you know, even people at an aid station, they're, they're trying to make the best race experience for the racers that they can. They're not getting paid jack you know what i mean they're this they're just there for the love of the game and you know maybe because they're trying to give back to the community but you really like it makes you realize like all these people in your life and they want you to do well and and they're helping you and um and it was just great to have that with with everyone and and what what were your biggest takeaways tyler from from the experience well, I looked at it a little bit today. Uh, turns out I PR'd the 50 mile distance also at this race. Congratulations. So, um, whether that was wise or not, <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it, you know, that's a discussion for another day, but so I, you know, same course, same, same everything. I was just slight, you know, 10 minutes faster through 50. And if you'd asked me at that other 50, you know, my first one, if I could have run more, I would have, you know, I would have just died on the spot and there I went, I did another 50. So I guess one of the takeaways is, you, you know, if you can do hard stuff, if you train and prepare and surround yourself with the right people. Um, and, and, you know, there's always this lingering question in your head, like, can you do it? Can you do it? And, and turns out you can you just get to persevere and set up the dominoes. Um, yeah, I think, I, I, I think that's, uh, that was, that was really well said. Um, well, I, I appreciate you both, uh, spending some time, uh, with, with myself and the listener, uh, today. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Yeah, it's my pleasure. How about that? Setting a PR at the 50 mile distance. 
en route to your first 100 mile finish in your first 100 mile attempt. Could he have done it without the amazing support and help of Jenny and John? Well, I suppose we'll never know, but one thing is for sure, their support was instrumental in Tyler's success. After the race, he told me one of the most important lessons he learned was that, quote, you need your people. Well, once again, you've been listening to the Eat Half Walk Double podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please circle back to the homepage and click the follow button or the subscribe button to stay up to date with all the new content. And of course, if you really enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your friends. I'll be posting some supporting media on my Twitter account at Coach Chris J. Dunn and the show's Facebook page at Eat Half Walk Double. So check it out. And lastly, remember, the secret to living well and longer is to eat half, walk double, laugh triple, and love without measure. Until next time.